0: Welcome to this week's Energy Show. This week, we're talking about using desalinized water to solve California's drought problem. The drought in California is continuing. Every year it gets worse and worse. We've had minimal rain for years, and we're at a crisis point now. The reservoirs are, are almost empty. There's not a lot of snowpack. Uh, beginning of April, Governor Brown implemented mandatory 25% water reductions in cities and towns, and water rights are being curtailed for farmers. We're spending a, a billion dollars for drought and water projects in California. But ironically, there's plenty of water off of our coasts. Unfortunately, that's salty water and and you can't drink it. You can't use it to irrigate crops. So there's a process called desalinization that you can use that takes the salt out of the water and then you can drink it or use it for irrigation. And this process has been around for hundreds of years, probably a thousand years. It works really well. There's different technologies, uh, but basically you have something called a, a desalinization plant and these plants are expensive. And you use a lot of energy to desalinize that water but um, you can make that water. It raises the price of the water. Well, but what the reason that this is an energy issue is because those energy costs actually make desalinized water much more expensive than water that you can pump out of the ground or just collect from rainwater and reservoirs. So it's something that's being used though, where water is just not available. Your choice is uh, either to go without water or um, use energy to to make potable water or clean water. So where's desalinization used? Well, it's used all over the world, particularly in arid areas, like kind of desert areas that are close to the oceans. The oceans are a great place to get that salty water and then dump it back in. Uh, if If it's a freshwater body of water, you can usually just kind of process that water and use it. But that's not available in a lot of uh, arid desert-type areas. And it's also interesting that, that uh, it's expensive to pump water long distances. I mean, we, it's just not practical for us to, to get water from the central part of the United States and pump it to California. It's just the pumping costs are going to be too big. So, so in that case, the energy costs to pump the water long distances are actually higher than des- desalinized water. Therefore, there's demand for these desalinization plants. It's the case all over the world. Actually, 1% of the world's population is dependent on desalinized water just to meet their daily needs. Uh, this is kind of, uh, particularly in the arid areas, uh, not not as much in the U.S., although it's starting to happen. But um, it, it's interesting how this is going to grow. By 2025, the U.N. expects 14% of the world's population to be countering water scarcities. And, and these water scarcities are, are basically... Happening because there's not enough clean water for population growth in in certain areas where the world's population is growing so fast. As a result, there's over twenty thousand of these small and large scale desalinization plants all around the world, and it produces twenty one billion gallons per day. I mean, my my head kind of explodes when I think about how many swimming pools twenty one billion gallons is. It's a it's a lot. So as, as it would be no surprise that the largest desalinization plants and the largest usage of of desalinized water are in really real arid areas like in the Middle East. Um, There's a plant in Saudi Arabia that produces 271 million gallons a day, and and they got plenty of cheap energy there, so that doesn't matter. Um, And what's interesting is the largest percent of desalinized water in any country is in Israel. Israel is kind of a hot desert area. They're nearby the, the Red Sea. They can uh, and they're they're able to get some inexpensive energy and they're they're able to produce forty percent of their domestic water needs from seawater. They they even use this water for irrigation and for crops, but they don't just pour the water onto the fields like we do here in California and soak them to you know two feet deep. They they use drip irrigation and these are some things that uh, that that really reduce the amount of water used for crops. Talk about that more later. So here we are in California. And, and we are beginning to use desalinization and, and, and the energy reasons are why these plants are starting to make sense. The biggest ocean desalinization plant in the Western Hemisphere is in Carlsbad, California. It's a billion-dollar pro- project, and it's going to produce 50 million gallons of water a day for San Diego County. That's going to provide about 10% of the county's drinking water needs. So you can imagine how much how much you really need to, to meet the entire needs of that county, but you start out with one of these big plants, and it's producing 10% of the, the drinking water they need. There's another plant going in in Huntington Beach, and there's others being considered all over California now that we're in this emergency drought situation. What's interesting is if you turn the clock back like 15, 20 years, um, in 1992, there was another big drought in California, and, and at the time, Santa Barbara, California, put in a plant to desalinize water, same situation as we're in right now. They put the plant in, it kind of got started, it worked, and then the drought ended. It rained, it's like, oh gee, this plant is too expensive to use. They mothballed it, um, and they just kind of turned it off. Now they're reactivating that plant and um, it's expensive to reactivate it and update it. It's expensive to operate it. But once that plant is up and running again, they're going to produce about 3 million gallons of water a day. Not a lot, but as far as the municipal demand in Santa Barbara, that's going to be at 30% of their demand. So they have this old plant, and because water is now expensive and, and uh, there's a drought, they're turning it back on. It makes total sense. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. When you look at the operating cost for that plant, The operating costs are the energy and the people and the materials that you have to uh, replace, um, plus the capital cost for the plant. The plant is going to generate water, produce clean water from seawater at about half a cent per gallon. Um, and, and that's kind of pretty high. And, and so here's trivia. I, I'm always asking people when they're saying, you know, gee, we have a water crisis. Why don't we solve it immediately? The the question I always ask people is, gee, how much do you spend for water? You know how much a bottle of water costs at the supermarket. It's like 99 cents. Um, you get a whole case for $4 at, at some of the big box stores. But that water that you get from your tap here in California um, – if you you look at your average water bill, and you got to kind of do some math on it, water costs about half a penny a gallon. So this plant is producing water at half a cent a gallon, but that's how much it just costs to produce the clean water. Then you have to distribute it. So basically what's going to happen, that water's going to cost a lot more. So so desalinization is something that works when there's a drought. When there's no drought, you've got enough surface water, these plants are are basically not going to be that cost effective. I guess you can just turn them off. So I mentioned that desalinization's been around for a long time. There's kind of two ways to do this desalinization. The old process is is distillation. It's kind it's how they make uh, brandy. Um, or or, or vodka. You just heat up a liquid and then you've got the vapors coming off and those vapors are are water vapor if if, uh, you're just using seawater. And then what condenses out is clean water. If you do this process in a vacuum, you don't need to boil the water as high a temperature and it actually works more efficiently. But still, it's a relatively expensive process to do this vacuum distillation. What really changed the the paradigm for desalinization was when they came out with this process called reverse osmosis. And with reverse osmosis, you use a a semi-permeable membrane. This is just like a, a sheet of plastic with lots of tiny little pores in it. And you pump water at high pressure through the membrane, and the pumps are what use the energy. The water molecules get through, and the salt molecules don't. So ju- just kind of imagining a, a process. I was just thinking about an analogy. This is a lousy one, but you just kind of imagine you're making, uh, let's say you're making some macaroni pasta and you've got this big pot of water with macaroni in it and you got to get the macaroni out and you want to you know, s- save the water and you dump the macaroni through a colander. So the water and the macaroni go through the colander. There's tiny little holes in the colander. The macaroni stays in the colander the water pours out. Desalinization is the same thing. These these semi-permeable membranes are just like the colander. The salt molecules are bigger than the water molecules. The salt molecules stay behind. The clean water molecules go through. So on one side, you've got clean water coming out, and that's what you use to drink. On the other side, you have this saltier and saltier water, and you just basically dump that salty water back into the the ocean or wherever you're getting the water from. So it works out pretty well. The challenge is that you have to uh, run these systems at kind of a high pressure, and that requires pumping and then a lot of uh, other associated equipment. So you, you kind of look at what some of that associated equipment is. We talked about reverse osmosis. That's just this filter, essentially. But then you need a whole plant that's going to run this system. And this is going to be looking like a, a big power plant, like a big nuclear It's actually looking like a big nuclear plant. You pull seawater in. Most of these plants are, are built near the ocean because the ocean, let's just look at the example of California or other other places, the ocean's a really big reservoir of water, and you're able to pull water out from the ocean, maybe uh, you know, 100 yards or a mile offshore. You pull that water out. It goes into a filter, and you're pulling the water out kind of slowly so that you're not affecting any of the marine wildlife. And there's there's big screens so that the fish don't go swimming in. And that water coming from the ocean goes through a filtration plant. You want to filter out any kind of suspended things or plankton or debris or little bits of sand so you're not running that through the reverse osmosis system. So then you've got this filtered water, which is basically really clean but salty water. And regular filters are, have pores that are just way too big to pull out the salt. So then after the filtration system, you go into this reverse osmosis filter and that's where you're running at a higher pressure and you're pumping that high pressure water through the filter and that's where the clean water gets through and the salty water kind of stays on the other side. And you keep processing that, and eventually what you do is you've got clean water coming through, and then that goes into a storage tank, and you might process it a little bit more to um, make it taste good, and then it's just going to go into the municipal water system. And the leftover water actually becomes even saltier, And what you do is you just pump that water way back into the ocean again and mix it in. There's so much water in the ocean, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to really affect the salinity of the water. So that's the process. And lots and lots of these plants are going in all over the world. So the question becomes, how much energy does it take to run these plants? Now, obviously, you have the cost of the plant. But your operating cost is mostly the electricity it takes to run the pumps. And I, I, I did some number crunching here just looking at... Uh, the, the basic metrics and all in the role metric system. It's four kilowatt hours per cubic meter, blah, blah, blah. What that means at the end of the day is it's about 0.15 cents per gallon just for the energy for the water. So that's just, just how much energy it takes, natural gas or, or, or um, oil or, or solar as far as what's producing the energy, but 0.15 cents per gallon just for the energy. And, and then you kind of say, all right, you've got the cost of the plant. We'll talk about that for a minute. But initially you say, oh, gee, this desalinization is using a lot of energy. Well, what's, what's really interesting when you look at California's water supplies, some of our sources of water, and this is the case really all around the world, some of our sources of water use hardly any energy. Anytime there's um, local surface water like a reservoir or groundwater that, that's kind of fairly close in an aquifer that you can pump out, that, those sources of water use hardly any energy at all. In, in California, we pump a lot of water from Northern California down to Southern California, or we import water from Arizona and New Mexico via the Colorado River, and that water is going to Southern California. Well, there's a lot of pumping involved. So that water is quite a bit more expensive than water that comes from local reservoirs. Now, obviously, if you're in a very dry area and there's no reservoirs, you're stuck. You've got to use that water. So so the water costs already in California are very highly affected by the electricity that it takes to pump this water. And anybody who's driven along the Central Valley of California, you kind of go over any of the passes there, and you're going over these these uh, aqueducts, basically these are rivers that, that California's created to pump water from Northern California down to Southern California, and those rivers are not flowing downhill. They're, they're flowing because there's huge pumps that are pumping that water. So when you look at seawater desalinization, yes, it uses a lot of electricity, but some of the other water sources that we're using already use a lot of electricity. Now, now, we're looking at what these costs are, and there's the cost for the electricity for pumping, uh, for, for, for pumping water, and there's the cost for electricity in a reverse osmosis desalinization plant. When we look at these plants, and you look at kind of a pie chart of, of where the costs are, and I'm looking at a, a typical plant, a, a typical new plant here, um, it, it's, it uses, when we're looking at the total cost of the plant, 44% of the costs of running the plant come from the electrical energy that it takes for all these pumps. There's a lot of other consumable costs, and you have to replace the membranes, and there's labor, there's maintenance. Uh, that That's a big chunk. It's about 20%. And then the remaining costs are the fixed costs for a plant. Anytime you build a building, you've got a, a do the construction you got to take out a loan there's fixed costs so that those fixed costs are about 37%. But the the key thing is electrical costs are about 44% of the cost of these systems. And that's why it's not kind of a no-brainer to put in these desalinization plants because you've got a lot of electricity costs. Okay, so now let's take a look at what these costs mean in terms of the total costs for the water. Now, a lot of these plants are starting to go in. In California, there's a, a company called Poseidon. Um, I guess they're going to have a big adventure making these plants, and they've been doing it for a while. But they've got a lot of plants under construction. And what they're planning on doing from these big plants that are going in that I talked about before they're they're putting these plants and they're going to sell the water for about 0.3 cents a gallon and I mentioned that the the old plant in Santa Barbara was going to sell water for about half a cent a gallon well these bigger plants are a little bit more efficient they probably uh, use less electricity a little bit more modern so they're going to sell the water for 0.3 cents a gallon and I mentioned also that the delivered water costs in California are already about half, cent, half a cent per gallon. So if you add that 0.3 cents onto half a cents, desalinized water is going to cost us about 0.8 cents per gallon at the tap. Um, and, and and it's going to, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but that's how much our home water costs are going to go up. Now that, that that's not what agriculture pays. And if, if um, agriculture were paying that, that amount for water, we basically wouldn't have a farm industry in here in California. It was kind of surprising when my kids were pointing out at dinner a couple nights ago how much it costs to grow some of the, the plants that we have in California. This, and a couple of statistics just were kind of eye-openers. They told me it takes five gallons of water to grow a walnut. And about one gallon of water... To grow an almond. And the reason is that these trees use a lot of water. Yeah, you got a lot of nuts on each tree, but we have you know, hundreds of thousands of the trees. And the way that they're grown, lots of sun in Central Valley, but the fields are flooded and the, the trees thrive with all this water. But when you're in desert conditions, in drought conditions, you just really can't support those crops. But if the cost of the water goes up by 0.3 cents, those crops are not going to be cost effective anymore. So that's that's a big problem for California as far as how to kind of manage those, those differences. So th- there are things that you can do, and there are countries around the world that have really pioneered improvements in that. The key thing is... You can irrigate more efficiently, or you grow crops that aren't as demanding in terms of water. Now, in, in Israel, in the desert, they've been using drip irrigation for years, and that's where you just have these little tiny tubes that are computer-controlled, and they just dribble the exact amount of water in that you need for these crops. And, and I imagine that if you were to use some kind of more careful irrigation process for a lot of the crops in California— that would be fine. And that's one of the initiatives that's going on in California. It's just a lot of technology being deployed towards ways of finding uh, a method to dramatically reduce the water consumption for, for fields. It's, it's kind of interesting. There's, um, you know, this is just kind of bizarre you think about how things are evolving here in, in Silicon Valley. One of our neighbors uh, near our office in, in uh, Campbell, it's, it's, a, it's an industrial building, and they're actually growing vegetables inside the building, with hydroponics, with special soil, and with LED lights, and and so and and they're they're growing a lot of vegetables there, and these vegetables are you know, kind of very high quality, very special, but they're using computer-controlled technologies and LEDs and and really careful irrigation to do this, and that's going to work. So I think what's going to happen in California is the farmers are going to end up having to pay more for water and as a result they're going to find ways to continue to grow their crops more efficiently. And, and you know that we're, we're talking about desalinization here. The, the challenge is that we have really two huge you know two, two, two different categories of water being used in the state. Agriculture, and we talked about this on one of our previous shows, agriculture uses about 77% of the water in the state. And a lot of this water is not being purchased. A lot of these are water rights that the farmers have had for, for 50, 100 years. Um, a lot of the water comes from pumping water out of aquifers. And, and because that water has historically been relatively cheap, we have such a, a huge part of our economy here in California um, that's based on agriculture. If that water becomes expensive, and you know, we talked about the... the um, five gallons of water to grow walnut, if you're increasing the, the price of that water by yeah, 50%, uh, those crops aren't going to work. So, so when you talk about agriculture, we can't just suddenly say uh, one, one option is, well, farmers, you don't get as much water, and they're going to have to rip out a lot of their plants, and they're already starting to do that because they don't have the water. And if we were to allow the price of the water to float more at market prices... And raise the price of the water, that, that's letting economic principles kind of take care of this automatically. That will work when, when water becomes more expensive, people will use less of it. But what's gonna happen is we're gonna disrupt the, the farming industry, which is one of the backbones of the California economy. So that's not an easy thing to do. So instead, what's probably gonna happen, and I think this makes a lot of sense, what's probably gonna happen is that we're gonna to continue to find a way to keep the water relatively inexpensive for agriculture because you can't grow walnuts or oranges or any of the other major crops in California with expensive water. So we're going to keep that water relatively expensive. Price will go up, but not way up. And we're going to use desalinization for water for a lot of the communities along the coast of California. And you kind of look at the population centers in California, most of the populations along the coast. Um, it's, it's not too difficult to put these desalinization plants in. We talked about the energy costs that are going to raise the cost of water a little bit, and that's a really good use for this this desalinized water. And you don't have to pump the water very far because the communities are already next to, next to the oceans. Now, the possibility of pumping that desalinized seawater all the way to the Central Valley, that's, that's expensive. And so that, that water is going to start costing more money. So maybe what we do is we continue to, to use existing sources of water for agriculture— and we use desalinized water for urban use, for, for residential use, for factory and commercial use. You know, what's also interesting, if you go even farther east along California, you know, head, head head more towards the mountains, there's there's more sources of water there. There's more reservoirs, there's more snow. There's more snowpack, and the water becomes less expensive. So it's a very dynamic thing, and, and you, know, you hear all kinds of—you look at all kinds of history in California about how water rights really affected the development— of, of the state it's going to continue but the good news is we have plenty of water and there are Cal- California's blessed with these oceans of water along the coast the problem is we don't have plenty of cheap water and when you start looking at the use of desalinization and you look at um, and which is technology and you start looking at using new irrigation technology which farmers are beginning to implement you see that there really is a good way out of this situation. Now, whether or not this drought is going to continue for another 20 years or whether it's going to go away in five years, as as many of these droughts have historically kind of waxed and waned, nobody can predict. But what does make a lot of sense is exactly what uh, the politicians are doing in California right now, which is we're restricting water. We're probably going to have to increase the price of water because that's the best way to restrict it. And we're starting to deploy technology, whether it's desalinization or better irrigation to make more water available cost-effectively and also to use the water that we have more efficiently. So that's undoubtedly going to happen, and and heck, who knows, this this whole water technology thing may be um, another bit of technology that California companies begin to export all over the world. So that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.